The Old Testament reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 24, beginning the first verse. David spares Saul's life. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep's pens. Along the way, a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to what men say? David is bent on harming you. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. Here is the Old Testament. The epistle reading is recorded in Acts chapter 10, the first eight verses. Cornelius calls for Peter. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that he had that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John. 
chapter 4, beginning the 46th verse. Glory to you, O Lord. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. Here ends the Holy Gospel. Are there any people left? Are there any little people left? Oh, this should be interesting. One, two, three. (laughs) Is everybody else on vacation? Maybe. Well, today is Father's Day. Not much of a celebration compared to Mother's Day. So, think of your daddy. Is your daddy like this teddy bear? Okay, they don't think their daddy's like a teddy bear. Anybody out there? Daddy's not like a teddy bear? Some people wish he was. I'll get rid of him. What's this stuff for? Hammer, screwdriver, fix stuff. Is that God's holy purpose for dad? That when something breaks, you fix it? I guess not. I'm not going to throw this stuff, though. Dad does fix things. He can also break things. Some people think that dad is like somebody you can get stuff out of. Um, See if you can turn that on. See, sometimes dad is the only one who knows how to do something. What? It's not working. Is dad the kind of guy who then says, give it to me and I'll fix it. I'll make it work. Think it's going to work now? 
Dad works so hard at stuff. Let's see if you worked enough. Didn't crank it loud enough. <laughs> Dad is not merely somebody you can go to, and if you push the right buttons and turn the right crank and do certain things, you can get him to do things for you either. It's not like he's a Coke machine where you put your money in and then he's going to give you something. Instead, we're going to find today that <clears throat> the basic notion of Father is more like this. Now, what's this good for? On a hot day, I ask a question like this. What's this good for? If you're cold, you need comfort, Dad is actually there to give you comfort and take care of you. Like that. You may think that that's mother's job, but it's dad's job first and foremost. He's there to watch over you, to protect you, to get what's necessary for your family so you can have a house and a home and a place to sleep and food on the table. He takes care of everything for you. That's what God, the Heavenly Father, wants you to do. But earthly fathers are not perfect. You only have one perfect Father, and that's the Lord God who made you. So, I'll let you go back again. Anybody need a blanket? No. Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, fatherhood has been denigrated a long time. Do you know which came first? Was it Mother's Day or Father's Day? Which one do you think? Mother's Day. I think just a little bit before World War I. That's when the suffragettes wanted to be honored with being able to vote. They thought mother was being taken advantage of, so they gave the ladies Mother's Day, and all they get is roses and chocolate. Here's a harder question. How long have we been having Father's Day? Anybody know? Dale says 1966, so it's not that long, 50, <clears throat> 50 years. That's about it. Why was that? Because by that time in our history, culture in general had been making fun of Father. He was the dopey guy that just went off to work. He didn't do anything else, so it was seemed. He didn't have as much empathy as Mother did. He seemed to be a little bit rough compared to what Mother would be doing with children. Besides, he started to be seen as someone who was not too bright. If I use the title, All in the Family, it was a well-known show. Who was the father in all in the family? Archie Bunker. 
He was ill-educated. He was rude and crude and stupid. Everybody had to fix things for stupid old Archie Bunker. But he was the one that society held up as the example of what a father was, which was basically a stupid loser who blamed everybody else for all of his problems. That's about the time that we better have Father's Day. Now, I did a study on the term, just the basic term father, as it's used in the scripture. The basic term for father is av. It comes from an older word, ava, which means to care or protect someone. Very old Hebrew language. Now, I could bore you to tears at this point by giving all kinds of examples, but basically... The term father, av, means one who takes responsibility. One who takes responsibility first for himself. He is not going to go around crying and complaining that he's got a raw deal. He doesn't go around sponging off other people. A father first and foremost is responsible for himself. And he does that before God. But he's responsible also for the sake, not only of himself, but his wife and all of his children, his extended family, which is referring to not just grandkids, but maybe cousins, also servants and workers in his house, literally anybody at all who takes refuge under his roof, the father, the av, is the one who cares for them, watches over them, meets their needs, protects them. This father has a job that really is supposed to image the idea of God the Father, who's watching over us as well. This notion of father who's watching out for others to love them, to train them, discipline them, care for them, do it all unselfishly, is a concept that has basically died in this country. When you hear the word father in most circles, they are thinking in terms biological. So-and-so fathered a child. But that doesn't make them a father. Any more than going to a clinic and having mother artificially inseminated makes the syringe a father. If it was a definition of who can father a child that way, then you could even say that a rapist was a father, which is definitely not the case. Or you could say that a man who lives with a woman without benefit of marriage, and they have a child together, that that makes this guy a father? There's whole communities, whole cities, where there are mothers and children and the so-called biological father is nowhere to be seen. This is not fatherhood. This is the exact opposite of what a real father does. I will go so far as to say that any man who is irresponsible 
who doesn't take care of himself, his wife, his children, anybody else in his household. Any man who is irresponsible like that has no business being a father. And in fact, in God's eyes, he is not. In our three texts for this morning, however, we have examples of what fatherhood actually is. The epistle is only just the beginning of a story where Cornelius wants to learn about the promised Messiah. Cornelius sends a servant, and did you notice that the servant was also someone who believed in God? He wasn't forced to go. He willingly went as he sent on this special errand. Now, Peter, meantime, also has had a vision. There's this sheet that comes down with all kinds of ritually unclean food that no Jew is supposed to touch, let alone eat. And he says back to God over and over, I've never touched this stuff. I'm never going to touch it now. Peter was a man of integrity. He knew what his heavenly father wanted according to something as simple as what to eat and what not to eat. And he will not do it until this vision happens three times and the voice says, get up, Peter, kill it and eat it. It's the voice of God. No man who calls himself a father but disregards God's word dare call himself a father. He probably at best is a dictator. He probably is someone who wants to have it his way simply because it's easier that way. Peter is showing us that the first characteristic is this proper piety that a man should have toward God, a deep awe and respect toward what his heavenly Father tells him. Without that, you really can't have any loving fatherhood in any sense of the term. My favorite story, actually, is David and Saul. Did you notice at one point where David speaks to Saul and says, My father... Because up to that point, Saul had been acting as a father to the entire people of Israel, watching out for them, defending them, going into battle for them. It also shows the great respect that David has for this man who improperly was going out trying to kill him. I also like it because David does this act of cutting off the corner or the hem of Saul's robe when Saul is in the cave relieving himself. That's like when dad is sitting on the bathroom stall. David could have killed him. He probably could have justified it even before God. But David has great respect toward Saul as the king and father of Israel, even though this father is trying to be a murderer. Why is it that kids don't want to pay attention to dad or obey him? It's because in their eyes, dad has made too many mistakes. He screwed up here and he screwed up there. What respect can a child have toward someone 
who makes so many errors, who screws up so often. How is this possible? Think of your own father. Didn't he mess up at times? Did that give you the right to disobey him? No. The father is God's own servant in the family, not only to take care of everyone, to watch over them, but really all that he's looking forward to is the honor and respect of everybody else in the family. Not that he's perfect, but he is the one who's doing this responsible job, this hard job of showing down-to-earth care for everybody around him. David could have killed Saul, but instead he uses this example, shows him the corner of the robe to try to lovingly point out to Saul his error. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody in every family, when dad did screw up, would actually come to dad and be respectful about what he had messed up instead of making fun of dad? But we live in a world that expects perfection, and there is no earthly father who is. But you should respect your dad, no matter who he is and how many times he's failed. The best example, of course, is this royal official. How many of you have great respect for all the politicians in Lansing? Oh, I didn't say Washington. In Lansing and in Washington. Nobody raising their hand? What is wrong with you people? Do you expect perfect politicians? Are you really that foolish? Royal officials back in Jesus' day worked for King Herod. He wasn't merely crooked. He was murderous. He was the biggest scoundrel there could possibly be. Yet this royal official who most people had no respect for, is the star of the story in the gospel. He's the star because he very humbly recognizes the limits to what he has done. His dear son is very ill, heading toward death. He knows there's nothing more he can do. So he swallows his pride and goes and begs. Did you notice that term? He begs Jesus, a no-account prophet from up north, to come and heal his son. Real fathers recognize their weaknesses. They know what they can't do. They don't try to cover up things with bluster. Fathers, be humble like this man. Come and beg of Jesus. Let your kids, your family, see you beg on your knees to your Lord when troubles are difficult and hard. He comes to Jesus and he's not trying to make a deal. He's not trying to say, I can force you. 
He's not pointing to his own supposed goodness, although maybe he is a pretty good official. He only just begs. Begs him to come and to heal his son close to death. Does Jesus always answer your prayers at the time that you want them or in your time frame? Probably not. Jesus does a similar thing by saying, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. He's testing his faith for he'll still continue to ask and beg. The man simply says, Sir, come down before my child dies. That's real faith, but it's very humble. It is at this point where Jesus simply says, basically, you can go home, your son will now live. And the fact that the man took Jesus at his word and went back home at that point in time shows you his faith. This business later about asking when the boy got better and at what hour it took place is just to certify that it was not by accident that the boy brought, was brought back to life and strength, but it's for the man's own blessing. He further recognizes who this Jesus is, and I think also he's probably going to be telling his son, his child, his family, exactly how wonderful and powerful this Lord Jesus Christ is. Now, at one point, one of the apostles said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Jesus said, Philip, have you been with me so long that you do not understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The only perfect Father in life is Christ Jesus. He is the exact image of your heavenly Father. He gives his life for you, even dying on an accursed cross. He is the one who is responsible perfectly to all, to his bride, the church, to his children, to all his servants, everyone under his roof. And that's the Father that we trust in, that we see in Jesus Christ. On this Father's Day, therefore, honor your father and your mother but trust in Christ Jesus, who is the image of God, the Heavenly Father. Respect your earthly father in spite of his difficulties and failings. And children, watch Dad. Watch your Christian father to see what it means to be a father to those around you. And in that way, you will be a blessing through your father. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.